Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. I'm your host, Adam Jones. I am the state government leader for Weaver and Tidwell. And today we have a fantastic discussion today focused on the challenges and opportunities in government leadership. Particularly, we're going to discuss and apply lessons learned across sectors and industries in the context of public management. I am thrilled to be joined today by one of my favorite collaborators and colleagues. Lisa Martin, CPA, is the national strategy leader for Weaver. She brings decades of experience in public accounting as a consultant and advisor to boards of directors, CEOs, CFOs across industries and across skill sets from business process improvement, financial management, risk assessment, technology, it's a pleasure to have you here, Elisa. Tell us a little bit about your background in public accounting and how you got to where you are, particularly your interest in advisory and consulting work, where I note you were the founding partner of Weaver's advisory services practice. Thank you, Adam. And I'm very much happy to be here to visit with you today as well. I did start my career in public accounting. My father was a public accounting CPA. I left public accounting and went to industry and came screaming back, actually, because I really enjoy client service. I've been in client service most of my career and most of that with Weaver. But as you mentioned, in the early 2000s, I did start Weaver's advisory practice. We have had the opportunity personally to be part of projects from accounting operations, IT, HR, all of those functions, as well as governance and strategy. And I've enjoyed every bit of that. And I've taken something from each and applied it to the next. That relational learning and client service is what I really enjoy here at Weaver. I do currently sit on several boards and audit committees. And I also report to boards and boards of trustees when I deliver my work. So I understand that my primary stakeholders are the boards and upper management or leadership of organizations, and that's where I focus. Elisa, you have a broad range of strategic responsibilities in organizations, but among the Weaver partners, you have a very broad industry portfolio, everything from real estate to energy to all sorts of commercial enterprises. But you have a lot of government experience and you've always been attracted to government, whether that's higher education, cities, school districts, state agencies. What do you love about working in the government sector and what draws you back to it time and time again? First, I love working in government entities because I think it gives me purpose. There's purpose in the work. Each organization, whether it's a city, a school district, a utility, transportation agencies, retirement funds, and the state universities that I work with, they all serve communities that we're part of. They manage the environment we live in. And I think that provides strong connection. That particularly is one of my favorite things about working in government and why I've stayed close to it my whole career. I also work with government leaders, and I enjoy working with them because they're in a position to really take the best of what's available, the best from commercial business and the best from public service, and put that together in the way that they operate and the way they manage their team and their responsibilities. You know, all industries somehow find their way into government, higher ed or not-for-profit. They all seem to be there. And so I found that it's been very beneficial that my experience in 
like healthcare or technology or even energy and oil and gas, like you mentioned, real estate, that I understand how those organizations and industries operate. I understand what the transaction flow is, and I understand what both directly and indirectly are required. And I can take that insight back to the government practice and to the leadership team that have to operate those activities within the entity that they're representing. And I think that provides some insight and some intentionality with the way that we interact with our government clients. It helps them understand some of the commercial aspects, and we can bring that broader knowledge from the industry to bear. And government gets both more complicated in with regard to challenges and more sophisticated with how they attack them. And we've seen a lot of that in our shared practice. In today's environment, what best practice do you see government leaders employing in their organizations? What, what has really struck you over the last few years? Well, I would say most pervasively IT practices, particularly cybersecurity and now privacy. That affects every enterprise small to large, it affects every government enterprise, small to large. Um, Government clients have to keep up with the same external activities and environment factors that commercial practices and public companies have to keep up with. And so those more sophisticated companies are deploying similar tactics. And our government entities are, are right in line using the best of breed tools, the best of breed tactics, the best of breed response plans, whether it's business continuity or ransomware or privacy attacks. And so those best practices, the commercial experience and the available resources are really born and available to our commercial enterprises and our government enterprises, including the talent pool. So I would say IT first and foremost. Moving outside of IT, I think budgeting and planning and really analyzing the business is another place where best practices are deployed by our government leaders that we work with. You know, no longer is cost-based budgeting effective. We moved from that to zero-based budgeting, where everything was self-sufficient. And that's really not effective. And now that's evolved to performance-based budgeting, aligning to the strategy, aligning to performance expectations, and forward-looking expectations for emerging activities that must be predicted and incorporated in the budget. Those trends are the trends that larger companies and more sophisticated growth model companies are deploying, and we're helping government entities deploy those as well. That's been super fun. And then I would say from a leadership standpoint, you know, making the leaders available, making themselves easier to work with, more available to their teams, having the view of their constituents, that interaction with their constituents and stakeholders, not being isolated. That's a best practice from a communication and cooperation standpoint. And we've encouraged our government clients to deploy their responsibilities and yield their power of influence in that way. And I would say that's important from a talent standpoint. It's important to have the availability to have a relatively more flat management structure, even in the hierarchical halls of government. It's important to have that to be able to both attract and retain the talent that's out there. 
you know, we've been working with many management teams and our government clients who have both very strong public sector backgrounds and public service backgrounds, but also bring to bear some commercial experience as well. And the blend of that allows for best practices and best thought to really be deployed for government organization. One thing that, that you and I have worked on together is some of the best practices in workforce planning. Sure. So encouraging our government clients to identify those high performers, the hypos, as we call them, those individuals who have the ability to progress and who you want to invest in and give some leash to. And so that best practice to really allow the individuals who have the aptitude and the excitement and the willingness to step out and step up and intentionally providing some skill development for them is something that, that I think is a best practice as well. So I don't know if that helps round out the answers, but it really goes across disciplines. It's a fantastic answer. And what I immediately think of is one of the things we encourage in young professionals, if you have a position in government, sometimes you get a chance to work on huge projects that you otherwise might not have had a chance to work on. I mean, government agencies are regularly billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industries. And sometimes a young professional will really get an opportunity in government to show their talent in advance. And that's one of the things we've seen time and time again. And they become the next you know, generation of government leaders. And, right. and I want to talk about leadership, Elisa. What, what kind of traits have you observed in the most effective government CFOs, CIOs, executive directors, and other leaders? Particularly, and you touched on this a little bit, but particularly, what talents do you see them employ in allocating resources and developing the talent that reports to them? Well, resources aside, I think first is the method in which they manage. So mm-hmm. a collaborative approach with their stakeholders, both that they report to, who they need to get something from, and those who they're trying to work through. So that all of those stakeholders, that collaborative approach is super important. Less hierarchical, more fluid, letting that play to the strengths of themselves as well as those on their teams, and really being able to isolate and embrace the the strengths of the various team members. I would also say in that same kind of vein of a little bit less hierarchical, not operating from a consensus management standpoint all the time, being convicted in the best approach and making sure that you're spending the time on the relationships and the socialization that goes along with teaching and building understanding of the approach you want to deploy versus trying to just gain votes, right? Mm -hmm. It's important to adapt to new ideas and new ways of management, deployment, thinking, and use of technology. And to do that, it's an education first, agreement second type collaborative approach. And that decision-making needs to be similar. And so really being able to proactively talk about and manage the impacts of the change that might be coming, embrace the fact that people don't like change and look at both the positive and the negative from that change and be willing to step out and move forward an idea that you know will work and that you're convicted that will work, but that government hasn't necessarily traditionally operated. And that includes having more reliance on 
expertise from outside the organization. When appropriate, of course, building the strongest team or the team that has all of the needed skill sets and competencies, that's what the best practice is to focus on. And it's rare that any organization has every skill and every competency needed for each project. And so isolating what the competency is that you need to add to have a balanced and well-constructed deployment team, and then going out to the marketplace and hiring that in on an as-needed basis. Um, That particularly takes some boldness to be able to admit that you need to bring in something that doesn't exist either within yourself or on your team. And I've seen leaders get a lot of credit when they're willing to do that. Absolutely. What's the one thing that really stands out in your experience that set the best government leaders apart from others? Okay, you know my answer to this. I probably know your answer to it, but I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) I always say it's courage. You know, courage is what it takes. Everyone has it, but it's not naturally deployed in many, especially in female leaders. It's almost conditioned to be suppressed, especially in some kind of a hierarchical organizational structure that government typically is. But courage can be demonstrated in a respectful and gracious manner. And courage means that you have conviction and that you have some intentionality, but that you're willing to step up and speak up about your ideas or your thoughts and concerns. So that courage needs to be thoughtful, it needs to be intentional, but it needs to be executed as such with respect for those who might not agree or respect for those who haven't also have an idea and also want to move their initiative forward. Courage can be deployed in the smallest senses or in a big idea. So many people will listen to those who are willing to step up and speak with confidence and conviction, but also who are willing to pause and listen before they respond. That's important. And so courage is something that I think we as children immediately have. And then as we get older and have experiences of being shot down, it sometimes gets muted a little bit. And I would say everyone needs to bring their courage to work. Bring your courage to work. I think we should have a bring your courage to work week. Let's talk about that next generation and creating courageous leaders. When, When you are recruiting the next generation of leaders, what traits do you see in them that determine success? And how do you develop that talent toward being the kind of courageous leaders we need in government in, in the next generation? This next generation is really seeking purpose. You yeah. know, I sought hard work and recognition. That's what I sought. But this generation is seeking purpose. They want a connection with the organization. They want to understand the cause or the mission and have some alignment with that. And I think that gives government and public sector a great opportunity to recruit really high-performing talent. I think that it makes government, higher ed, even not-for-profit, great employers for this generation. We have some work to do to recruit them and to make sure that the environment is ready for their management style and their operating style. It means that we have to have a fluid environment allowing people to navigate and change responsibilities a little bit more more often. 
It also means that our pay and benefits collectively have to be commensurate to the commercial opportunities that we compete against. There's a lot of work that needs to get done. And in any organization, including government, most of the work gets done in the middle, middle management, Mm -hmm. most of the work. And this new generation is willing to do the work at that level. They're intentionally looking for opportunities and new experiences. And I think if we play to that, then the government and public sector employers, all of our clients have an opportunity to really get a great talent pool that will move initiatives forward in this next generation. I I agree. And there are a lot of young government leaders with a lot of purpose, passion, and courage. And I'm heartened by that every time I get to be around them. We are almost out of time. Our time has flown by and I've been (laughs) this conversation, but let's end here. As we dive into 2022, we have had two solid years of turmoil inside and outside of government. It's not an easy job under any circumstance, but what would you suggest are the top priorities for government leaders going forward? How do we make 2022 really great? I think we got to retain our top talent that talent management and specifically talent retention in this era of the great resignation that we've been hearing and even experiencing has to be the focus. If you are able to engage and deploy that talent, retain it by giving them what they're seeking, then the business of government and the business of that organization will occur and will happen. You know, the best leaders build a team of people that are stronger than that leader themselves or stronger together. They complement each other and together they'll survive. And I think if that's the focus, then in 2022, our organizations and our management teams will be stronger. Very well said. Lisa Martin, National Strategy Leader for Weaver. I have really enjoyed our time. Let's do this again. You're on. <laughs> because you talking about government leadership is always a pleasure. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And we will be back next month with another episode of Weaver, the Business of Government. That might include Elisa Martin again. Who knows? (laughs) In any case, we wish you well. We wish you a passionate and courageous week, whether you are in the public or private or nonprofit sector. I'm Adam Jones.